Hello, this is Dr. Mike Barnett with the First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Thank you so very much for tuning in to our podcast, and I pray that today's message will be a blessing and an encouragement to you. We are engaging our people at First Baptist Church in an emphasis called Who's Your Mission? It is a challenge to personal soul winning and personal evangelism for the year 2023. We've asked our people to ask God for at least one soul to be burdened for that they might go after that soul and win them to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the theme of these current messages. And I pray that they will encourage you to be a soul winner and go after one soul that needs to be saved now and to know Jesus now. I pray these messages will help you. And again, thank you for tuning in. about that. That was wonderful. Thank you, choir. The Bible is a book about God, and He reveals His character. He reveals His purpose. He reveals His Son. He tells us what we are like, who He is, how we need to be reconciled to Him and how He reconciles us to Himself in Christ Jesus. And Jesus is on every page from Genesis 1 all the way through the last chapter. As a matter of fact, uh, my Bible has an index at the beginning and maps at the last. And I won't tell you what Jesus is from index to maps. He's all the way through. And sometimes you read a text of Scripture and you've got you, you to be like a miner and you, uh, mining for diamonds and you've got to chip away and you've got to pray and you've got to work and look around other veins in Scripture and you'll find him. He's there. The Holy Spirit will show him to you in your diligent study. And then other times it's just so obvious it's just so obvious that this is an Old Testament portrait of Jesus. And so these stories in the Bible, these historical accounts involving real events, real people, they are more than just a storybook pulled off a shelf. They are written and included in the Scriptures, the highlights of people's lives for the purpose of showing us what God is like. And so with that in mind, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. Now, I want to introduce a, a few truths about this chapter to you. Uh, first of all, um, thus far in chapter 8, we have seen pictured by David's ex exploits, the justice of God. Well, today we're going to see the grace of God. And if he is not God who is just 
and God who is gracious, then he's not the God of the Bible. This is not a schizophrenic God. He's just and gracious. If he wasn't just, there would be no reason for him to be gracious. And so we're going to see his grace today. The second thing I want to point out to you before we dive into this great text is you're going to see a word in this chapter, and it's the word kindness, kindness. And it is David being kind, expressing kindness to a young man by the name of Mephibosheth. Have you ever met anybody by the name of Mephibosheth? Sounds like the kid who would get beat up on the playground, doesn't he? Well, I want to tell you, you better not beat this Mephibosheth up because you'll have to deal with David. Mephibosheth, being kind. The word kind is a great Hebrew word. It is the Hebrew word kesed. And what it means is total, total, total commitment to love and devotion and grace and mercy to somebody, to someone. It is used throughout the New Testament, speaking of the loving kindness and grace and mercy of God toward Israel. It is the Hebrew word kesed, totally committed. Now, if you've ever seen pictures of Israel, you might have seen the Hasidic Jews, pictures of Hasidic Jews. They're the ones who wear the long black and the black hats and have the tails coming down. I can't remember what they're called. And they have the phylacteries on their arms. And they are the ones who are the Hasidic Jews. comes from the word kesed. They are the kesed Jews. Totally, totally committed to the law. The old covenant, the covenant, the law of God. Totally committed. Well, this word kindness refers to the total, 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 total commitment of grace and love and mercy of God toward you. And David says in this text, I want to show somebody from the house of Saul, who was his enemy, kindness. And he says, kindness for Jonathan's sake. Because way back in 1 Samuel chapter 20, when David found out that Saul was not going to relent, that Saul really wanted to kill him and was going to continue to try to kill him, Jonathan's son, uh, Saul's son Jonathan, helped and ministered to David was a great friend. That was one of the most beautiful pictures of friendship in the Bible. The friend we have in Jesus is a beautiful picture. And in 1 Samuel 20, David made a covenant with Jonathan and said, this covenant of friendship and love and loyalty is between me and you, my descendants and your descendants. And he calls this, I want to show somebody from the house of Saul, if there's anybody left, kindness for Jonathan's sake. But I want you to read with me verse 3. Now, this is all introduction. It's very important. Read with me verse 3. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? Now, 
in verse 2, David said, or verse 1, David said it's the kindness of Jonathan for the Jonathan's sake. But in verse 3, he said it's the kindness of God, the kessid of God. So even David knew that what he was doing in chapter 9, he was doing it because he had received the kindness of God, but also, now get this, also, I'm doing this to show the nation what God is like. David says, I'm illustrating and painting a picture of what God is like. And I know what God is like because of the Word and because of how He's treated me. And then David says, and I'm going to show those folks down there in 100 degree South Mississippi what the kindness of God looks like. Isn't the Bible a fascinating book? And so I call this Grace doesn't see your feet. You want to know what I mean by that? Stick around. Because we're about to talk about it. David paints this marvelous picture of the grace that does not see your feet. Let's look and see what the grace of God does. First of all, I want you to see in verses 1 through 4 that grace seeks Grace seeks. And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul? Now remember, Saul tried to kill him. This was the previous ruler. Is there anybody left of the house of Saul? Now if David was any other king, the next verse would have said, If you find anybody left of the house of Saul, send my guard out and wipe them out. Wipe them out. That was the norm. But David's no normal king. So is there any left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan has yet a son which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Is there anyone left of the house of Saul? Not that I want to kill them, but I want to be gracious. I have every right by the right of kings to wipe him out, but I want to be kind and show him kessid. Very strange of a king that day. But David says, I'm seeking a survivor of the house of Saul so I can give them life and give it more abundantly. And somebody said, well, there's a servant of Saul named Ziba. He probably knows. Let's go get Ziba. So they went and got this man named Ziba. And Ziba said, yes, King, there is one left. Let's, there's one left. And so let's look at this one that's left over that David wants to be kind to 
And Ziba begins to describe him for us. And I want you to see if this fellow sounds familiar. Number one, notice his condemnation. He was of the house of Saul. Whoever this person was, he was of the house of Saul. This is the house of the man that tried to kill David many, many times. And he is um, the one who, uh, whose house tried to kill him. And then after, tried to, when David became king of Judah, had a civil war against David. This is that house. By law and rights, this man should stand condemned in the rights of royalty. That's his condemnation. Second thing about this man that Ziba talks about, notice his condition. Ziba makes a point to say he's lame on his feet. Now, we must got to say about a word about this man named Ziba. He's going to show up later. And uh, you can read this text, and, and especially if you've read ahead, you know there's just something not right about this guy named Ziba. You ever met somebody that you're a little bit suspicious of? Well, Ziba's this guy. And, and so you kind of scratch your head about him. Um, and uh, we're going to find out later that he is not what he portrays himself to be in chapter 9. That he really doesn't have Saul's grandson, Jonathan's son's best interest at heart. So Ziba says, yeah, uh, Jonathan has a son, and he's lame on his feet. That's the first thing he says. He's lame on his feet. Now, Ziba brought that up not because he wanted to give David information, but what he's saying to David is, is David, yeah, Jonathan's got a son, but he's of no use to you. He's, forgive me for being politically incorrect. Can we just dispense with that? He's crippled in both his feet, David. He can't walk. If you take him in, someone's going to have to care for him. He can't plow fields for you. He can't march in your army. He, he's not going to be any benefit to you whatsoever, David. That's his condition. Now, how did this young man get this way? Well, back in, in, in 2 Samuel chapter 4, when Saul died on the battlefield, word got back to the capital, Saul's capital in Gibeah, that, that Saul and Jonathan and, and most of the army and, and most of Saul's sons had all been killed. And this young man, his name is Mephibosheth, was five years old at the time, and his nurse picked him up to run because it was time to get out of Dodge because... You were going to be killed if you didn't, so the, the, the enemy's coming in. And, and so he, the nurse picks up Mephibosheth and starts to run and apparently falls, and Mephibosheth's two feet are crippled in the fall. That's his condition. And now you fast forward some years later. Mephibosheth is any, anywhere now between 16 and 20 years old. He's a young man, and he's still crippled in his feet. And so, uh, 16 years old or so, he can't walk. He's not going to be much help. Can't work. And so, why even want to pay attention to him? But Ziba did not have the heart of David. 
David wanted to show kindness. Isn't the kindness of God one-sided? Do you know anybody else who's been crippled by a fall that is really not, not that productive for God, but God shows kindness anyway? You know anybody like that? I'm looking at them, and you are too. So that's his condition. And then the third thing is, is notice his location. Verse 4, he was with the man by the name of Maker. Now, Maker's going to show up later in the text. This is a good man. I, I, uh, I look forward to getting to glory. I want to meet this man, Maker, because he's just behind the scenes, and he's just doing what is right where he is. And so we'll talk about him much later, but he's a good man, as we'll see later in the book. And he lives in, a, in an area called Lodabar. Lodabar. Y'all see that in the text? He's at the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Now, um, that's where he is. That's where Mephibosheth is. He's in Lodabar. Where's Lodabar? Well, if you go north and then turn right and cut across the Jordan River and go into the middle of nowhere and then turn in the middle of nowhere to the middle of really nowhere, you come to Lodabar. The name Lodabar means no pasture. This is a desolate place. It hasn't been plowed. It hasn't been fertilized. It hadn't been productive for many years. No pasture. It's really a desolate place to be. And that's where this young man that needs David's kindness is located. Now, I asked you when we began to see if this fella sounds familiar. Do you know anybody else, anybody else like this, that before the foundation of the world, before... He was ever born, you were ever born, or anybody was born, that God made a covenant and said, I'm going to show them kindness. And this individual is condemned. He's condemned. And this individual is of no use to the king. He's useless. No relationship, and he's so far away from royalty and so far away from the king that his place is called no pasture, no grass, no nothing. Do you know anybody like that? Have you ever met me? This is you, folks. This is you. Crippled by a fall in the sin. Lame in your feet. Useless to the king. Way out there, so far away from God, there's no green pasture. But before the foundation of the world, the Father made a covenant with the Son of God, Jesus, and said, Those to who will receive your kessid, your grace, We'll do something special for them. We'll show them that grace. That's you. That's you. Amen.
And so, here we go. So grace seeks. David said, seek me out somebody condemned and useless and somebody that's out there in the middle of nowhere so far from me that I can show kindness to. And then the next thing we see that grace does, look, look, at, look at the next verse. Verse 5, Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Maker, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. David got him out of there. Got him out of that ugly place and brought him to his own home. So grace sins. Grace sins. I love... The King James Version right here. I love that it says David sent and fetched him. Do you like that word fetch? I love that word fetch. You say, well, preacher, that's really not a flattering word. That's what we do with our dog. We play fetch. You throw the stick and the dog runs and opens his mouth, clamps that stick in his jaws, and runs back and brings you the stick. That dog can do that all day long. Fetch. They're not a flattering word, but I want to tell you what, that's what happened here. David sent to fetch him, and they picked him up. Can you imagine the knock on that door? Mephibosheth, you in there? You in there, Mephibosheth? Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm in here. David wants you. We've come to get you. I got to go get a haircut. I can't go to David. He, he, he didn't know about that covenant, see? He didn't know about this kindness. All he knew, though, was that somebody was coming to get him, right? And they brought him to David. Did you know that when you were lost and useless and crippled in your feet, that God sent His Son Jesus to fetch you? That God, that the Son sent the Holy Spirit, Brother Charlie, to fetch you? That God sent somebody who loves Jesus and believes the Bible and got a mission to fetch you. Let me ask you something. Who's your mission? Who are you fetching? Amen. If you're anything like God, you're fetching somebody. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, that's what the Holy Spirit does. He fetches people and brings them to the king. Woo, that's good preaching, whether you like it or not. Amen. Grace sins. And then grace saves. Look at 6 through 8. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kissed kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog 
as I am. God, grace saves. Let me show you real quickly, then we'll move on real quickly, but you got to get this. Four things that saving grace does depicted in this text. Number one is imputation. Imputation. You say, preacher, what is that? Well, imputation says, and salvation says, that what is in Christ's account, God imputes it to your account. The righteousness of Christ, God puts into your account. When he was on the cross, he took your sin and imputed it to Jesus. And when you receive the grace of God for salvation, he took the righteousness of Jesus and put it, imputed it to you. That's imputation. That's a wonderful doctrine. And so notice what the text says in verse uh, 6. It says, Do not be afraid, Mephibosheth, because I'm going to show kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. And in this text, Mephibosheth is called the son of Saul, the son of Jonathan. So if David had imputed Saul to Mephibosheth, it would have been this. But he didn't impute Saul, he imputed Jonathan. Because David made a covenant with Jonathan. I will always show kindness, Jonathan, to your descendants. I will be kind. You see, the Bible teaches in the New Testament that you are in one of two places. You are either in Adam or you are in Christ. And when you're born, God imputes the nature of Adam to us. It's on our account. And you say, well, so we're paying for Adam's sin? You pay for Adam's sin and your own sin. And so if you're in Adam, you're lost. You need the grace of God. But if you're in Christ, he's imputed his righteousness into you. So imputation. David says, don't worry, Mephibosheth. I'm not going to treat you like Saul treated me. I'm going to treat you like Jonathan treated me. Isn't that wonderful? Do you see the picture? Second, we have regeneration. You, have noticed, you may have noticed that we don't know the young man Mephibosheth's name until verse 6. He, he, we don't know his name. And then it's King David who calls him Mephibosheth. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he says, Behold your servant. I think there's something here that um, is very important. I don't think that was the boy's name. Matter of fact, I know it wasn't his name. Because in 1 Chronicles chapter 8 and verse 34, we're told that his name was Meribel. The son of Jonathan was Meribel. And Meribel is an interesting name. It means Baal is my advocate. Let me translate it for you into modern day Mississippi language. Baal is my advocate. Satan is my lawyer. That's basically what it means. Satan is my lawyer. That's how 
degenerative the, the house of Saul had become. They named Saul's grandson Meribel, Satan's my lawyer. And that's what it means. And so David calls him in, and, and this Meribel comes in and bows down and doesn't know what to expect. And David says, Mephibosheth, calls him by name, Mephibosheth. And you know what the name Mephibosheth means? Break the shame. David is the one who named him Mephibosheth. He says, you're no longer Satan is my lawyer, Maribel. I'm going to call you breaking shame. Because David says, the shame of Saul's house is broken by my grace. The shame of Saul's house is ended right here because I'm giving you my kessid, my kindness. You from now on are Mephibosheth. You are regenerated. I have given you a new name. And there's a new name written in this house. Amen. Didn't we used to sing, there's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine. Well, David gave, gave Maribel a new name, and it was called the shame is broken. That's what happens with the grace of God. When you get saved, he gives you a new name. All your shame is broken. And then also, I want you to see reconciliation. He said, uh, fear not. I'm not going to treat you like you belong to the house of Saul. I'm going to treat you in accordance with the covenant I made with Jonathan. He reconciles us. We are reconciled to God who we are at enmity with because of our sin. In Christ Jesus, we're reconciled. And then another aspect of, God, of grace saves is restoration. Look at verse 7. David said unto him, Don't be afraid. I'm going to show kindness for Jonathan's sake. And all the land of your family, all the land of Saul, is yours, and you will eat bread at my table continually. So God, David told Mephibosheth, Everything that sin has taken from you, I'm giving back. Plus, you get my table to boot. Isn't that the grace of God in salvation? Amen. You see the picture? See why I call it a Norman Rockwell, all the details? And then Mephibosheth's response is very important. Look what he does. He bows himself. And he says, what is thy servant that you look upon me, a dead dog, like this? Why would you give me a new name and say the shame is gone? My family had tried to kill you. We, we had a civil war against you. I, I'm useless to you. I can't plow in your fields or march in your army. Why would you treat me like this? I'm nothing but a dead dog to you. I'm nothing but a dead dog for you. Folks, listen. You want to know if you're really saved or not? Is this how you respond to the grace of God? If you think for one minute that you deserve any of the kindness of God, you're probably not a real Christian because you haven't realized your sin and the condition it puts you in. But if you have received the grace, the grace, the one-sided grace of God, you know what you are like, and you know you don't deserve it. And that's how Mephibosheth receives You just receive it. I'm a dead dog before you, David. 
You are marvelous. You are marvelous. And that leads us to the next thing. Grace sustains. David said, you will eat at my table, and Zeba is going to go work your land. See, Mephibosheth just got a whole bunch of land. Saul was a rich king. He had all that land. Somebody had to work it, and so Zeba was going to go work it. And so David had a kessid, a grace that sustained. He will be your servant, Mephibosheth, and you will eat at my table. And all the blessings of my table are yours. Isn't it wonderful, the spiritual blessings we have in Christ Jesus? matter of fact, let me tell you something. The book of Ephesians says this. All spiritual blessings are yours in Christ Jesus. When you get saved, you get everything God has for you. And the Christian life is not about receiving more. It's about appropriating and living what you got. That's where the battle is. Grace sustains. You will continually eat at my table. Let me tell you, salvation is by grace, and that means you can't lose it. It's forever because it's by grace. If it was by grace plus the little bit of work, you could lose it because you'd quit doing that work. But it's about all grace, and it's grace that continually sits us at the table of the Lord. Amen. I'm so thankful for the grace of God and salvation. Grace sustains. And then, uh, we, we, well, we just need to keep reading. And... Verse 9, Then King David called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertained to Saul and all to his house. You therefore, Ziba, and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him, and thou shalt bring in the fruit that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread always at my table. Now, Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. He's going to need them. Then said Ziba unto the king, According to all that my lord the king hath commanded his servant, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth said the king, He shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. Grace superabounds. Mephibosheth, you're going to serve and you're going to plow the fields of Mephibosheth. I don't believe Mephibosheth was very enthusiastic about that. We'll see later. But I love it how David said, and as for Mephibosheth, it's almost as if David knew Ziba wasn't what all he was cracked up to be. And I think, I think old David may have leaned over and said, Now, Ziba, as far as Mephibosheth goes, He's going to be continually at my table. Do you understand? And Mephibosheth says, I got it, sir. I got it. And he's going to be at my table as one of my sons. Grace superabounds. It not only gets you out of Lodabar where there's no pasture, it not only removes the shame that you have because of sin. But it brings you into his house and sits you at his table where you can eat like he eats. Grace 
superabounds. Are you enjoying the superabundant grace of God? Jesus said, I am come that you might have life, period. Nope, that you may have life and that more abundantly. That's the grace of God, amen? His grace is saving grace and it's sustaining grace and it's superabounding grace. Now, I want you to notice something interesting. We read on. And it, it tells us that Mephibosheth, verse 13, dwelt at Jerusalem. Let's read this. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants unto Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table. And so this is a wonderful thing. Mephibosheth, in that superabounding grace of God, got the king's table, got everything that was lost because of sin and the fall, got it back. And not only at his table, continually at his table, but also he had a son. And his son's name was Micah. That's what he named him. Now, I'm going to read a little bit of it to you, but if you want to, or you can just write it down if you want, go to 1 Chronicles chapter 8 and verse 34, and I want to show you something about, about this that, that illustrates the superabounding grace of God. Listen to this. This is the sister book to, to 2 Samuel. And it says, And the son of Jonathan was Meribel. That's, that's Mephibosheth. David gave him a name. And Meribel begat Micah. And the sons of Micah were Python and Melech and Tira and Ahaz. And Ahaz begat Joadah. And it goes on and, and talks about his, his descendants, Mephibosheth's descendants, all the way down. And it says in verse 39, And the sons of Eshek, his brother, one of the descendants, Ulam, his firstborn, Jebus, the second, Eliphet, the third, and the sons of Ulam were mighty men of valor, archers. They were bow and arrow men, archers, and had many sons and sons' sons, 150. All of these were the sons of Benjamin. These are Mephibosheth's descendants. This list in verses 35 or 34 through 40 in 1 Chronicles 8 is 13 generations after Jonathan, 12 generations after Mephibosheth, and they are all mighty men. Whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. Wasn't there great, great, great grandpa? Could he march in David's army? No. He, could, could he fight like a mighty man? No, he was crippled. Couldn't do it. But his sons, 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 12 generations down the line, 150 of them are mighty men of valor who stretch the bow. By the way, how did Jonathan and Saul die? By the hand of the archers. What God once used to destroy, he now uses to bless. And they were archers and mighty men. God superbound. You don't know what the grace of God can do for you. If you would just come to him and say, Lord, why are you doing this? I am a dead dog. I receive it. Humbly receive it. You don't know what the grace of God can do for you and your family. It's super 
abounds. Amen? And then we see one more thing. Don't, don't be getting ready to go. Don't be getting ready to go. You don't want to miss this. You've got to listen to this. Grace sees. Grace sees. Verse 13. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem. Mephibosheth didn't move to the tribe, tribal land of Benjamin. He didn't move back to his grandfather's house. He, he stayed in Jerusalem. He fellowshiped with King David. He said, I know all that's mine, but I don't, I don't want to go live in that house. David, you've been so good to me and kind to me. I want to be as close to you as I can. That's what grace does. It makes us want to be close to Jesus. And Mephibosheth stays and lives in Jerusalem. And it's such a wonderful story, isn't it? Isn't this a great story? It's a wonderful story. But notice the last line of the chapter. And was lame on both his feet. Now, why in the world would the narrator want to end like that? I mean, children's books are supposed to end happy. A good novel ends happy, unless you're weird and like the ones that don't. Everybody likes a happy ending, doesn't it? But it ends like it begins with him just being crippled on his feet. But there's a whole lot of meat in between, amen? So why would the Holy Spirit tell the writer to end this portion of God's Word with that phrase, but he was lame in both his feet? Well, I'm sure there's a lot of different answers. And since I'm the one preaching, I'm going to give you my answer. If you were preaching, you can give your answer. So just look at me for a minute. And I want you to picture something in your mind's eye. Let's get our sanctified imagination going. If you need to close your eyes, you can close your eyes. But envision this. On Mount Zion sits David's house of cedar. It's beautiful. Inside that house of cedar is the banquet room where they ate daily, David and his sons. His servants were quick to bring the food and spread the feast out on the table. You picture that. Now it's supper time, and David the king, the kind king, comes in and sits at the head of the table. Picture that. Royal robes sits at the head of the table. One by one, his sons file in. Not Solomon. He's not born yet. But maybe Absalom comes in. Got his long hair. His prideful way. Comes in, just plops down with an attitude. Amnon perhaps comes in. Amnon, as we're going to see with his lust raging in his soul, comes in. Thinking the world owes him everything and every girl is looking at him. He sits down. Others come in. And one of them reaches out to grab a piece of meat. And David says, hold it. There's one person we're waiting on. 
You picture it? No. Absalom says, who? David says, wait and see. I've adopted another son. So they're waiting. And all of a sudden, at the end of the room, you hear a door creaking open. They all turn to look, and they can't see anything. They just see the door swinging open just real slow. And then they hear... And they look on the floor, and there is a young man with crippled feet, and he's pulling himself along the floor to get to the table. He's just pulling himself along to get to the table. His sons look at each other with that look that says, Is this who Daddy told us to wait on? And then... I just in my sanctified imagination can picture David in his royal robes getting up from the head of the table and reaching down and picking up Mephibosheth and bringing him to his seat reserved for him. Puts him in the chair and scoots him in and then sits down back at the head of the table. You got it? You see it? And then Mephibosheth, who usually sometimes looks at himself as a dead dog who has received unmerited kissed from this glorious king, begins to weep and says, Your Majesty, I'm sorry. For being late. But I can't walk by myself. I'm sorry for my appearance. I'm sorry for having to scoot in like this. But I don't deserve anything that you've given me. I don't deserve it at all. So I want to give you all that I can. I'll praise you with my lips if that's all I can do. I'll encourage you. I'll do anything, but I can't do much because of my crippled feet. And then that gracious King David, I believe, would say something like this. Mephibosheth, I want to share something with you. I look across this table at you, whom I have bestowed my grace, upon whom I have given my royalty, shared my royalty with you. And I want you to know I look in your face and I don't see Maribel, I see Jonathan. I see Jonathan, my friend, your father. I see his eyes, your eyes. I see his nose and your nose. I see the contour of his face. I look at you and I see the face of Jonathan. Isn't it a glorious thing when he looks at a Christian, he sees Jesus? I see Jonathan. 
And then Mephibosheth, when I, don't, when I look at you across this table, I see your face and I see this feast that I've set before you. I see all the blessings that I've bestowed upon you. I see all this magnificent glory that I've given to you. So Mephibosheth, I see Jonathan's face. I see my feast. But when I look across the tabletop, I don't see your crippled feet because they're under the table. They're under the table. Folks, when you receive the grace of God, your old crippled feet are under the table. When you accept the grace of God, your sins are under the blood. Do you get it? That is the grace of God. That is the grace of God. Where are the amens from those who have received the grace of God? That is the grace of God. What's wrong with you? <laughs> oh, the grace of God. That's it. It seeks you when you are way off. It sends for you by the Holy Spirit drawing you to Christ, fetching you. Amen, fetching you. And it saves you by giving you a new name and a new place. And it, 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 not only that, it, it sustains you at his table and it superabounds in you. And from that moment on, all it sees is what it provides. The grace of God. Amen. Do you know the grace of God? Some, a couple of years ago, and I've told you this story before, but it just fits. We were at the Lighthouse Ministry one Sunday, and Coach Niles, Richard Niles, spoke and preached and gave the plan of salvation. And an older man told us both afterwards, he said, i got to talk to y'all. i got to talk to y'all. I said, okay, we'll talk. Let's go. We're walking down to his room, and I turn around. I said, sir, how old are you? And he says, I turned 89 yesterday. Turned 89 yesterday. So Coach and I get inside the room, and he starts telling us his story. Now, Mephibosheth may have been crippled in both his feet, and if that's a picture of our sinful condition that makes us unable and without strength to do anything that would please God, this man was crippled in his whole body because he commenced to tell us some horrid things, and I shut it down. I said, sir, we don't need to know that. We're not here to hear about your sin. We're here to tell you about the Savior, basically is what I told him. Coach and I were sitting right there, and he said, I believe the gospel. I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe he was buried, and I believe he rose again. He said, I believe everything that needs to be believed to be saved. I'm just not saved, and I need to know what to do. I need, I, I'm in trouble. I need some help. 
And then he said this, and don't tell me what all those other preachers have told me. And I said, well, what do they tell you? Well, they just tell me just to believe, just to believe, just to have faith. He said, I've got faith, and I'm still not saved. Now, folks, I want to tell you something. When you're talking to somebody, uh, you've got to learn the careful art of praying and talking and listening at the same time. So I'm sitting there saying, all right, Lord, help me know what to tell this man. And Ephesians 2, 8, 9 came by. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For by grace are you saved through faith. And so I said, all right, we're not going to tell you. We're not going to tell you what other preachers have told you, but I'll tell you this. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith. I said, it sounds like you have the faith. You just need the grace. And he had a look on his face. I looked up at the coach to make sure, you know, get some affirmation. And he said, that's it. How do I get this grace? I said, well, you got to ask God for it. You just got to ask God for it. And he said, that's all I got to do? I said, yeah, ask God for it. It's grace. That's the only way you can get it is God gives it to you. It's got to be totally given. And you know what that old man did? He raised up his hands and lifted his head toward heaven. He said, God, I have faith. I believe all the right things. I just need that grace. Give me that grace. Amen. And then he put his head down. And I said, did you receive the grace of God? He said, I believe I did. I'm saved. I said, yes, you're saved. So grace seeks. Grace sins. Next week, walked into the lighthouse. And his wife met us and said, I don't know what y'all told my husband, but he's a different man. And then, a few weeks later, he's in ICU. I always pray when, when we're able to be a part of winning somebody to Jesus, I say, Lord, let me see some immediate fruit. I know fruit takes time to grow, but let me see some immediate fruit. That's what I pray, you know, because I, I, I need it. I need, you know, I just need it. And so I walked in the hospital room. He's got a mask on, breathing, hooked up, you know. And I walked in and I said, Mr. Bob, this preacher, I'm here to pray for you. We love you. And we're going to ask God to help you. So I grabbed his hand and I prayed for him. And I said, but Bob, I'm going to leave now. I'll let you rest. And with the other hand, in one motion, he took that mask off and grabbed my hand before I could leave. And he said, let me pray for you. Grace, grace, God's grace. It's greater than our sin, Brother Jay, and it's marvelous. Do you know the grace of God? Do you want your shame be removed by the king. You come to him humbly and receive his grace. He'll give you a new name, a new character, a new nature. And he'll use you and bless you with his salvation, his sustenance. And you know what? You'll be at his table perpetually and he'll never see your crippled feet anymore. Amen. Let's stand for our song of appeal. Do you know the grace of God today? Are you 100% certain that if you died today, you would die with that grace? If not, you come forward. Get down here.
We'll help you. We'll show you what must be done. You come. Thank you.